Hi everyone, welcome back to Marked as Red. Uh, we are back after winter break and I am officially back to living on campus. I was able to move back to, um, to live on campus because I'm taking a short form documentary class and the kind of equipment that we need to use is not really easy to learn remotely. Um, I got to go to exactly one, I'll say it again, one in-person class before we were moved to, um, what's it called? It's like high risk posture or something like that. High risk something. Uh, I can't leave my room. <laughs> so now everything is remote. Um, which is fine. It's, it's fine. Um, this is also the second time I'm recording this podcast because I'm not in the podcast studio, which means I'm using my laptop, a microphone, and also Audacity. And this is the first time I've really used Audacity. I don't know what I did, but I did something very wrong with the first clip. So here we are, part two. Today, we're gonna have a little bit of escapism. Originally, uh, I was going to talk about my current read, which is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Um, however, this book is so sad, it's so upsetting, that it is actually controversial in the book community. I don't think we need that right now, especially considering the majority of my listeners are from UMass Amherst and we're all going a little bit stir-crazy right now. I think we need something that's a little bit more fun. So I'm going to just dip my toes in Twitter discourse for a minute here. I hate that phrase, dip my toes. Okay, dip my toes in. Who does that? Anyway, Twitter discourse, not really something I would normally get involved in, except somehow this Twitter discourse involves a book that I had finished reading right around the time that this happened. I'm talking about Bean Dad. If you don't know what Bean Dad is, let me tell you. Bean Dad, oh, his real name is John Roderick. He's a comedian, internet person, doesn't really matter. John Roderick. Um, the reason that I stumbled across this Twitter discourse is because John Roderick wrote the theme song to a podcast that I listened to called My Brother, My Brother and Me. So he posted this very long Twitter thread in which he referenced The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which I had just finished reading at the time that he posted this. Um, and it made me angry. Well, his Twitter thread made a lot of people angry, but what I'm going to talk about, what made me angry was the way that he compared himself to the father in the road. So let's talk about it. John Roderick, at 3.12pm on January 2nd, 2021. Now these tweets have since been deleted. I'm currently reading them off of screenshots of the Twitter account uh, that goes by the name Nathan of Oz. Um, I did see these tweets when they were originally posted before they were deleted. So I 
am familiar with the contents of them. I know that this thread hasn't been edited or anything like that. So John Roderick tweeted, So yesterday, my daughter, nine, was hungry and I was doing a jigsaw puzzle. So I said over my shoulder, make some baked beans. She said, how? Like all kids do when they want you to do it. So I said, open a can and put it in the pot. She brought me the can and said, open it how? With a can opener, I said, incredulous. She brought me the can opener and we both stared at it. I realized I'd never taught her to use it. Most cans now have pull tops. I felt like a dope. What kind of apocalypse father doesn't teach his kid how to use a manual can opener? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. The next tweet. So I said, how do you think this works? She studied it and applied it to the top of the can sideways. She struggled for a while and with a big dramatic sigh said, will you please just open the can? Apocalypse dad, capital A, capital D, was overjoyed. A teaching moment, capital T, capital M, just dropped in my lap. I said, the little device is designed to do one thing, open cans, study the parts, study the can, figure out what the can opener invent. <laughs> Sorry, this one makes me laugh every time. <laughs> figure out what the can opener inventor was thinking when they tried to solve the problem. The can opener is also a bottle opener, but I explained that part wasn't relevant. I went back to my jigsaw puzzle. She was next to me grunting and groaning trying to get the thing. I should say that spatial orientation, process visualization, and order of operation are not things she dot 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 intuits. I knew this would be a challenge, but it was a rainy weekend. Eventually, she collapsed in a frustrated heap. I said, explain the parts. She said, this little wheel is meant to cut, these gears turn the wheel when you spin the handle. This other wheel looks like a gear, but isn't. She couldn't figure out the clamping step, a key element. I said, the tool is made to be pleasing, but it doesn't have any superfluous qualities. Everything that moves does so for a reason. She said, <laughs> she said, I hate you. I'm sure she believes that she does. I said, you understand everything except how the tool addresses the can. I'm sorry, what does that mean? Okay, just, I, I'm, I'm 20. I, how the tool addresses the can? How can a tool, how can a tool address a can? I don't, I don't think that's possible. Continuing with the tweet. She sighed. At this point, she said, I don't want baked beans and marched off. Apocalypse Dad, capital A, capital D, went into full the road mode. <clears throat> Here's where my problem begins. <laughs> Sweetheart, neither of us will eat another bite today until you get into this can of beans. She screamed ugh like Lucy Van Pelt. She read a book for a while. Soon she was back at the can. The top was all dented now, the lip of the can practically serrated from failed attempts. We studied the tool some more. She really wanted to be oriented up and down or across the top of the can. The sideways orientation is very counterintuitive. She was fixated on orienting the tool in a few configurations and couldn't imagine other possibilities. 
I compared the can opener to other tools. By now we were working with, on anger management and perseverance too. She suggested she open the can with a hammer. There were tears. At what point is it necessary that your child cries while learning to use a can opener? I don't, look, I'm not a parent. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna be a parent for a while, but I think I have a pretty good concept of how ridiculous this is. I told her stories of some of the great cans I'd opened over the years. She rolled her eyes. I don't blame her personally. We talked about industrial design and what a funny little device the opener is. I showed her how I opened cans with a buck knife. I racidized about the cold spaghettios straight from the can. Eventually, she had it all figured out. She had the placement of the tool, she could turn the handle, and the can would spin. We were down on the floor by this point. But the quote-unquote ka-chunk of puncturing the lid still eluded us. Here we go, is everybody listening? Because what I'm about to read you is... something. We'd been at it for six hours on and off. We were hungry. One more time. Six hours. I'd been tempted many times along the way to guide her hand. I wanted her to experience the magnificence of the can opener so much I couldn't stand the suspense. Neither of us likes baked beans that much. The cupboards are bare, so it seemed like a paltry reward for the work. I'd forgotten how finicky the tool really is, particularly when it comes to the puncture. She had it all lined up, but the cutting wheel is a little wobbly by design, and you have to really get on top of it to clamp it down. You know the feeling. You can misfire the damn thing. Finally, she squeezed down on it, and although it was a misfire, a light went off in her head. Many times throughout the day, she'd yelled at me, my brain is fuzzy, I can't think of anything else to try, and I'd say, when your brain doesn't work, trust your hands. Is that solid advice? I don't know if that's solid advice. I don't know if that's advice I'd give somebody. I think we have brains for a reason. I mean, you know, opposable thumbs are a great thing, but we also have brains. She felt the tool click over the lip of the can. I saw it in her hands. By this point, she developed a little ritual of addressing the tool to the can, starting with it on a vertical axis and rotating it to the horizontal while clamping down in a single motion, a choreography. She looked at me expectantly, excitedly, after one more time, after six hours of trying, you don't want to express too much hope. Was this another blind alley? The can had been through hell. Label ripped off, dented, sharpened, and burred, a veteran of a thousand psychic wars. She knew, though. She set up again, carefully, and brought the swing away to bear on the can of S&W baked beans with the meticulousness of Roger Moore extracting a detonator from ICBM and the spy who loved me. A soft pop resounded in the room, so different from all the other sounds we'd made. She didn't look up. She knew the action. A little baked bean sauce appeared. She savored each twist until the lid, as I hoped it would, rewarded her by standing perfectly at attention, saluting her effort and ingenuity. She was elated and carried it to the kitchen in both hands. She knew this was a commonplace task and a common tool, but also that this was serious business. She knows her dad and the stock I put in these things. Which, another little aside, that implies to me that he has done this before with other household tools. What? Anyway, 
A more mechanically inclined kid might have figured it out in minutes. She factored the scale, but was rightfully proud. I'm proud of her, too. I know I'm infuriating. I know this is parenting theater in some ways. I suffer from a lack of perseverance myself. And like all parents throughout history, I'm trying to correct my own mistakes in the way I educate my child. She sees through this. We're going to stop again. How would a nine-year-old see through that? And number two, is that really how you should parent your kid? Like, I made this mistake, so I'm going to then overcompensate on my nine-year-old child who has done literally nothing wrong? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, we're almost done here. The Swing Away can opener is a little voodoo doll for us now. It will reappear as an allegory many more times in her life, you can be sure. She knows this too. But this is an allegory of triumph. I wish I had more of those for myself. I wish I had more stories like this. <laughs> the only problem is now she wants to open every effing can in the house. So I'm going to give you a minute to just let that sink in, that story. Okay, all right. So he posted all this on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter reacted. <laughs> Some people were defending him. A lot of people were criticizing him. Somewhere along the line, he got the name Bean Dad, which started trending, became a hashtag. And like with most controversies on Twitter, someone started looking into his old tweets. And what they found only made it worse for him. Um, he, in the past, had tweeted a lot of racist sexist, uh, homophobic, anti-Semitic, just about every, every bigoted thing that you could tweet. <laughs> he somehow hit every genre, um, which only added to it. You know, it, it would be one thing if this guy had this story about his problematic parenting and we're kind of like, wow, you sort of seem like a jerk, but I'm going to mind my own business. And then you look on the rest of his account and it's just, it's just that. So, uh, needless to say, um, my brother, my brother and me is now using a different theme song. He deactivated his Twitter, you know, deleted those, uh, tweets when he started getting criticism. So I'm not really, I'm not going to speak anymore on the other problematic things he has done and said, because there are plenty, plenty of lifestyle podcasts, articles, pop culture type things um that go into that it's not like people are not aware of the other things that he's done um this is a book podcast so we're going to talk about the worst take on the road by cormac mccarthy that i have ever seen which is john roderick being dad comparing himself to the road dad so let's talk about this Fair warning, there will be spoilers for The Road in this. However, the book isn't super plot-driven, so I do believe you could have spoilers and still thoroughly enjoy the book because it's one of those books that's really a lot more about the deeper meaning, um, and it's very powerful and beautifully written. I'd like the book if you can't tell. So, I guess my main problem with Bean Dad and his interpretation of The Road is it seems like he didn't actually read the book. Because every single time 
that the father in the road came across a tool that his son had never seen before or never used before, he would take the time to show him how to use it. Because in the apocalypse, you don't have the luxury to be like, oh, let's have a teaching moment. Let's go hungry for six hours. Um, so I, I don't think he actually read the book. The second thing, um, the dad from the road would never let his son go hungry. There were times where both of them were hungry, but that was because it was in this very unforgiving post-apocalyptic environment. They were traveling from the northern part of the country to the southern part of the country so that they could survive the winter. They didn't exactly have, like, cans of baked beans laying around. But even when they didn't have food, the dad from the road would sacrifice his own health and give his child his share of the food, and he would go even hungrier to make sure that his kid did not go hungry. Um, for whatever reason, Bean Dad decided that they were both gonna go hungry that day, even though they didn't have to. The Road is such a beautiful story about fatherhood, about the inherent instinct that parents have to take care of their children even in the worst possible scenarios and bean dad pretty much used that just to justify his own problematic parenting um i don't know if that's how he imagines himself in his head like the father from the road but he's certainly not i would say something that struck me so powerfully from that book is it was a story about a single dad and his son. The man's wife in the road committed suicide when the son was still young. And I think that this was a very deliberate choice by Cormac McCarthy. Because if you think of what a very stereotypical story about the apocalypse would be, granted, one that wouldn't be very interesting to read, and there were a stereotypical family unit of a mother, a father, and a son, you can already imagine the very typical tropes that there would be. For example, the father would be all tough love and you need to learn how to survive and it's kill or be killed and you have to be tough and ruthless. While the mother would be the soft, caring, nurturing one. Well, in the road, there's only the father. And he's just desperately trying to raise his kid properly, not only so that his child can survive and continue living even after the father dies in this awful environment to live, but so that he can maintain his humanity, so that he can be a good person. Because the boy and the father, they're surrounded by examples of evil. There are people who are stealing from others, who are more helpless than they are. There are cannibals who are eating other humans. And something that the father continuously emphasizes to his son 
is that they're, quote, carrying the light. And that, to me, was one of the most powerful things in this in this book. And it was the thing for me that got to me the most emotionally. Because it was such a simple and sweet interaction between father and son to remind him they're the good people and it's their responsibility to stay good and to continue to carry the light within them. And it was such a protective way to teach his son about what was really going on in the world. You know, if you think about it, a kid growing up after the apocalypse, because the son, um, he wasn't born yet when the apocalypse began. Actually, his mother was pregnant with him, and so he's only grown up in this post-apocalyptic world. To grow up in that world means, obviously, you have to grow up very quickly. There's not a lot of room for your parents to protect you, to shelter you from the bad things in the world. But this father made it a point to do that. Because rather than, you know, explaining to him all the horrors of these fringe cannibalistic societies that are now, uh, that are now appearing across the American continent, he explains it to him like, we're the people who are carrying the light. Not everybody else is, but we are. And that is what's important. So these little interactions between father and son that were so humanizing and so personal, those to me really gave the novel that deep emotional quality that a lot of post-apocalyptic novels don't have. It wasn't really focused on the post-apocalyptic society and all the gore and um, violence. It was focused on the good things about humans and how we try to take care of each other and how we try to continue to be good, even in the worst environments. It was about unconditional love between a father and a son. And for whatever reason, John Roderick picked that to justify the way that he spoke to and spoke about his daughter. And I mean, he was talking to, about her in ways that the father from the road certainly never would. You know, when he was saying she, uh, what was it exactly? He was saying she isn't mechanically inclined, doesn't understand order of operation, things like that, which I think is pretty ridiculous to say about a nine-year-old. Um, even if he might suspect that, why would he put it on the internet, for one? And now, obviously, the father from the road isn't a flawless human. He's not a flawless father. But he always emphasized to his son the good qualities that his son has and encouraged them. In fact, the only times he's really ever scolded or disciplined his son really were situations where the son put his own life at risk. And when the son was upset afterwards, you know, as kids do after their parents scold them, the father always apologized and comforted him. So even in this world where comfort 
really shouldn't exist if you think about it. A barren post-apocalyptic landscape. Who is focused on comforting somebody else? What is the point of comforting somebody else? Well, this father made it a point to comfort his son. And then we have Bean Dad, who reduced his daughter to tears because he wanted her to figure out on her own how to use a can opener. As you can see, this was not a good interpretation of the father's parenting style in the road. It's, in fact, um, awful and completely misses the point of the entire novel, which is such a beautiful story about parenthood and love and caring, even in the worst environments. And being dad saw that and was just like, yeah, apocalypse parenting means I can be a jerk to my nine-year-old. And, <laughs> you know, parenting issues aside, I'm really mad that he took that beautiful story and mischaracterized it in such a way that the road itself, like the novel, started getting Twitter criticism. This novel was published in like 2006. I was six years old when this novel came out and it was involved in Twitter discourse this year. And apparently John Roderick wasn't the only one who missed the point of the novel. I saw people complaining that it was too sad and too depressing and that reduced the quality of the book. Now I'm all for if you're like, I don't like sad books or depressing books. I just want to read as an escape and I want to laugh or I want a book that's like a cute love story. The more power to you and even better that you know that. But it's a book about the apocalypse. I don't think Cormac McCarthy was going to try to like sugarcoat the apocalypse. Even the cover of the book, you know, the saying don't judge a book by its cover I don't think that applies to actual books. I think you can actually tell a lot by the cover art and design. For example, it's, it's the cover that I had anyway, and the cover that I've seen the most is a black cover with red writing on it. And it says right in the summary about it being a post-apocalyptic survival story and a son and father trying to avoid cannibals and stay alive. I'm a little confused what people expected, and I'm also confused about this interesting rating system where if a book is sad, it means that it's automatically not good. Which is kind of ironic considering the next book that I want to cover is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, which might actually be a book where it's so sad that it's not good. <laughs> but we'll get into that later in a later episode. Um, I guess for whatever reason, people started associating The Road with Bean Dad and immediately took it as, well, the father in The Road must do something to his son, like what Bean Dad does. So the book is probably bad. It's probably written by somebody who parents in the same way and is just trying to justify it, but it's not. And I just, I just really wanted to clarify that and drive the point home and also drive the point home that The Road is an amazing book. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if I can, in good faith, recommend it right now because 
books about the apocalypse at the moment do feel a little bit too real, and I understand that's a very dramatic take on current events, like that we're going through the apocalypse. I don't think that we are. <laughs> I think it's a difficult time for everybody. Um, but that being said, books about the apocalypse don't exactly feel like an escape. However, it is kind of comforting. Because at the end of the day, I would say what The Road does so well, and what Cormac McCarthy obviously put so much thought into, is how to portray how strong certain relationships can be in the face of such terrible hardship. And that in and of itself is comforting in, oh my god, I'm sick of this phrase, but in times like these, these unprecedented times, whatever you want to call it, I think something that we've all learned is that we can connect to people in a way that maybe we couldn't before, even even though what's going on feels so isolating and you might be connected to less people numerically, you know, quantity-wise, the people who you are connected with, who you still can interact with, maybe virtually or maybe in person, you realize how grateful you are for them. Because in a stressful time, you you prioritize things better, you prioritize the people who you spend time with better, and you learn how to take care of each other in difficult environments. And that's a really comforting aspect of human nature that we have this instinct to care for one another, especially family members and other loved ones. So it's a timely story. It's a sad one. <laughs> the road did make me cry a little bit, um, so fair warning. But if you're, you know, looking to just cry it out, I support that. That is why I'm reading A Little Life. I'm mentioning A Little Life a lot, and I'm really just very excited to cover it because it is so controversial, and there's just, there's a lot going on in it. But anyway, moving on. The final consensus can I say it's a consensus? I'm the only person talking right now. Well, I mean, yeah, technically, it is a consensus because I agree with myself. The final consensus on being dad versus the road dad. Obviously, the road dad is better. Being dad, I think, maybe thought he was being funny. I understand a lot of that was probably exaggerated for the sake of Twitter. Um... I don't know who needs to hear this, but pretending like you're a jerk isn't comedy. At least not to me. At least not to a lot of other people on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter would not be the best audience for that. Um, Bean Dad clearly didn't read The Road, um, and neither did a lot of Twitter users either. Um, so please read books and also think about them with your brain before you use them to justify your actions. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a pop culture podcast or entertainment or lifestyle or anything like that. Well, maybe a little lifestyle. Um, but I'm gonna be honest with you. 
I'm probably going to do this more because I cannot tell you the number of times I will read something on social media that is just the worst interpretation of a book. And I get it, okay? Books are open for interpretation. But I'm also open to interpret your interpretation, which for the most part, I, I don't really have a problem when people interpret books differently than me. I do have a problem when people use books to justify their problematic decisions and they use it super incorrectly. So this is probably going to happen again and I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry about it. So that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to stay up to date on my content, you should follow me on Instagram, which is at Selena Riverniter. I also have a YouTube channel under the same name, Selena Riverniter. Stay safe, wear your mask, socially distance, do what you can. I know things are hard, but we do have each other to lean on right now, and I hope that's what you took away from this kind of rambling, ranty podcast that ultimately, as bad as things get, there is somebody who will want to take care of you. 